Hi, everyone. Welcome to Do It Today. I'm Kara Catruzula. Today, I'm very fortunate to talk to Samantha Massell, who's a Broadway actress, singer, and writer. She's also appeared widely in television and film. And I'm incredibly excited to talk to her at this very moment because soon she'll be leading the world premiere of a new musical called Double Helix. So, Sam, hi. You do so much. Today, it's a beautiful spring afternoon in your hometown of New York City. What are you doing today? Um, today's kind of been a weird day so far. Nothing like crazy. My boyfriend just left. He's off to go do some press in LA for a couple days. Then he's got like a lot of weird travel. And because I'm starting rehearsal for this show, I'm a little bit locking it down COVID wise. So we had a very tearful goodbye. Oh, (laughs) I know. So sad. And then, um, I'm going to see Goodnight Oscar tomorrow. So I picked up a little present for a pal of mine in the cast. And then I just got back to my apartment and now I'm on the phone with you. So it sounds like a lot of life stuff, life stuff in between prepping for the show stuff. Could you tell us a little bit about the show and what that work looks like today, basically, as you're as you're leading up to the premiere next month? Yeah, I would love to. So first of all, let me just say I'm this show is very near and dear to my heart. I've been I've been involved with it since before it was really ever on paper. So it's really thrilling to finally be at this step of the process. Um, And it feels like a really big gift. If you don't know the story of Rosalind Franklin, and I certainly didn't when Madeline first told me about this show, basically in post-World War II in England, um, there was this young x-ray crystallographer who was working at King's College in London. She was, you know, a woman in a man's world, treated with misogyny and anti-Semitism at every turn. And she takes this photograph called Photograph 51, Um, And it's not just like, you know, how we click on our iPhones every day. It's these are huge photographs that take hundreds of hours to develop. And then you have to measure the coordinates. It's a whole adventure. Um, And it reveals the structure of DNA to be a double helix. She takes this extraordinary photograph, photograph 51, which gets basically taken off her desk by her lab partner, who she had a bad working relationship with and given to Watson and Crick. And the three of them went on to win the Nobel Prize and she was left out of history. So it tells the story from her perspective and shows her involvement. She was actually in the New York Times yesterday. Yesterday was um, something called DNA Day, which commemorated the 70th anniversary of the discovery of the structure, aka when Watson and Crick published in Nature. The musical is about Rosalind and this woman who gave up a lot of common things that a woman would be doing in that day for work and for science. So what we sort of say is it's the story of a woman who sacrifices what makes her human to discover what makes us human. I mean, it's it's something to sing about. It certainly is. And like you said, it's incredibly timely. And so people are obviously having her at top of mind right now. But, you know, looking back at the history of this artistic collaboration with the composer lyricist Madeline Myers, you know, you said you've been working on the show for four years and four years is a really long time. Does this feel like the moment you've been waiting for, that you're getting it on stage in front of everyone? Yeah, in many ways, yes. I mean, musicals, first of all, take a really long time to get out there. This is not necessarily uncommon. That said, it's less common, I think, for actors to be involved for this long. That happens every so often. But for me, I've really been a part of this journey. Like Madeline approached me about this when she was doing research in summer of 2018, like literally nothing was on the page. So I've sort of been dreaming and scheming and imagining what this would be for so long Mm -hmm. and sort of like mentally preparing and prepping and all of that stuff. So that's sort of been the unique aspect of this journey. (laughs) We're at this point, I feel like we're family, we're sisters. We were close before this started, but this has certainly brought us significantly closer together. 
we often joke, I feel like she says, I, I talk to you more than I talk to my husband. And I'm like, I talk to you more than I talk to my boyfriend. We are just like <laughs> constantly in communication. What if we did this? What if we did this? I read the draft. I thought this. Wouldn't it be so cool if one day we were in whatever? You know what I mean? We're like, what will we wear to our Broadway opening? Like, we're always just sort of like twittering about scheming and dreaming. Something that's really brought us together is how much we believe in this piece and how much we yearn for this story to be told. When I heard that we were planning this production, like, you know, actors were constantly faced with, do I want to audition for this? Do I want to do this job? You know what I mean? And I very quickly was like, there is nothing that's going to take me away from this, continuing on this artistic journey. I felt very strongly about that. What will it look like for the next few weeks with rehearsals and getting everything together and in shape? What is that day to day going to feel like for you? Well, it's sort of starting now because I've known this was coming for so long. I mean, like, you know, we all went through this. We've all been locked down and doing less theater than we would have been otherwise. So I started getting back in voice lessons, getting myself back into shape. I've done a lot of research. Um, we start formal rehearsals on Monday, which will be a 10 to 6 type of affair. You know, we'll start with dialect and music rehearsal and some character discussions, I've been told. I'm also doing some preliminary music rehearsals tomorrow and Friday, which will be nice just to get my bearings because it's a I know Madeline's musical language so well now that like I can, it's a very complex score, but I feel like I can pick it up very quickly, but it's just helpful for anything new, especially since I've known it in so many iterations to just get a little bit of a head start because my brain will certainly want to do the old version. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, we, we go into this 10 to 6 thing then we get two days off and we travel to Sag Harbor, which will be beautiful. And then we do tech into previews into performances. How do you gear up your mind, your body, your heart, like all of the above before the show goes on? Do you have any practices or processes that you turn to? I do think this is one of those things. This type of stamina for this type of roles is the kind of thing I think you kind of only know if you've done it. And I don't mean like done double helix. Like I remember when I was doing rags in 2017, I, I sang like 16 songs. I never left the stage. And I remember like being like, okay, here we go. And afterwards I was like, I did that. And it sort of teaches you so much about yeah, everyone's, every person is different. Every body is different. What you need. So I, I feel like I've, I sort of have done some prep work on that. Every score is different. So how am I maintaining my instrument and making sure I'm in a good place with that? I think above all though, like the mental aspect of it is just, I remember when I was doing Fiddler, I felt so much pressure to be perfect all the time. And that's just an unattainable goal. Mm -hmm. Um, and doing rags, going through that monster of a role and a score, I started to learn like about my limits and trust that, I guess, trust myself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so freaking excited, which I think is going to carry me through a lot. Like, I just can't believe we're here. And I feel, I just feel so grateful and so lucky. But I also, I feel like I know what my body needs to do this. I know when I need to be on voice rest. I know when I can, whatever, when I can have a glass of wine. I think part of it is also like, obviously, we're we're very optimistic that Bay Street is the first leg of what will be a long and exciting journey, hopefully back to New York. So I think this is also in many ways, this is my test drive. It just sounds like there are so many different facets to keeping up that momentum, but you do have the endorphins on your side, the excitement, all of the pent up energy of four years of waiting to present this and then also what is to come, you know, after. And yeah, it just sounds like a tremendously exciting moment. 
The other thing that I will say, just in regards to that, like literal taking care question is like, sometimes it's easier to just be up there as opposed to come on and off the stage like that, like in Fiddler, like what I did where you're, we do Matchmaker and then we had 20 minutes and we did this. <laughs> and then, mm. you know what I mean, once you, it's kind of nice to just like press go, or at least that's been my experience. I'm very excited. So I guess I'm curious because, you know, you're a writer as well, how you sort of break down a script and understand it and understand the story that you're all telling together. I think the biggest thing for me, I guess the secret sauce is probably the act of collaboration. It's hearing how everyone else is participating in the room. But overall, I feel like I know this story in my bones. What I don't know now is what everyone else is going to do. There's this great like Philip Seymour Hoffman quote that I impart to a lot of my students. And um, he's, they're basically like, what's acting? And his response is, <laughs> I like to find the chaos within the structure. You know what I mean? Like, I got my structure. I know how to find the structure. I know where I start. I know where I end. I know like where my events happen and things change. The chaos is everyone else who's participating in this with me. And I don't mean that in a negative way. That's where the spontaneity is going to come from. And that's what's going to make this feel really alive. God, that's such a great quote. It's such a great quote, right? Oh, that's so good. That's so perfect. Something something to remember that like the freedom that you can have and, and mess around with things, I think. I don't know. That's the beautiful part of it. You know, and that's what's like so exciting about getting to like really play, you know, like even when you're at a music stand, like you, we have these other actors and we're participating with them and there's some chaos. But really, you're just like, OK, we're in 4-4 four, four now. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. This is we're really going to get to ping pong off each other. It's going to be really exciting. So how do you protect your time and space during the day? I, I think that's kind of like a, a journey that I'm constantly on. One thing I've tried to do actually really recently, this is very specific, is I've tried to to alleviate my need to respond to things right away, hmm. whether it be an email or a text or something like unless it is legitimately urgent. I just I feel like I'd gotten in a habit where I just I felt like everything merited an, an immediate response. And that was getting really toxic. Mm hmm. I think that's part of it. I also think this is a lesson I've learned later in life and it applies to many things, but treating things that don't necessarily feel like work, like work. For example, I wrote a movie this in the last year and a half with two pals that were in the process of shopping around. And, you know, in many ways, like we're not getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Our goal is to sell it and make it and all of those things. And something I'm really proud of is that three of us really treated those writing sessions like they were in the calendar. This was not some dinner date that someone was going to cancel on last minute. Like we worked. And that's how I try and approach all of this creative stuff that's like what I'm thinking about or reading a book for Double Helix or taking a voice lesson in anticipation of starting rehearsals, like those types of things. That is really consciously saying, you know, no, that Samantha, that is work. Mm. You're not getting paid for it, which can sometimes feel like you're like, mm. but it is, it is real work. And it's a testament to your commitment for these creative projects. So I think that's part of it is like really saying this is work. That's fantastic. I, I love that perspective. And I think we so often talk ourselves out of that where it's, oh, this person needs something from me, or this is a paying gig, or this feels a little more urgent. But our own creative work, I think, deserves that time and space on the calendar and deserves that sort of immovable quality. And it can be fun, but it can also be really serious. That's how the good projects actually get made. At least that's what I think. No, I think you're right. And I think also like in the spirit of that, saying no to what doesn't serve you, 
you know what I mean? I, I teach on the side, for example. It's a wonderful side job and I, and I quite enjoy it. I love my students. I'm so grateful. But I've made a decision while I'm working on the show to not teach. I was just like, I'm not going to come home from rehearsal at 6 p.m. and hop on Zoom with three kids. It's just, I want to be able to really immerse myself in this artistic process. So like those types of decisions or like me actively saying no is, is very empowering. That's so funny. Anne Harada said the exact same thing on this podcast really? where she's like, I do this mental calculation of like, yes, that sounds cool, but how many hours is it going to take? What is it? What am I going to be taken away from to do this? And, you know, you want to give a definitive yes or a definitive no. You don't want to be talking yourself into something and then find yourself in a situation that you want to get out of. And every time I do that, every time I like talk myself into something like that, I immediately regret it. Oh, it blows up always. So I've tried to really just say no unless something really serves me. You know what I mean? Do you have language for things like that? Oh, sure do. So I asked you to do something next week. You have other commitments and you want to let me down gently. What do you what do you tell me? Like, thank you so much for thinking of me for this. This sounds like a wonderful project. I'm a little overcommitted this week, but best of luck. And please feel free to reach back out again another time. I'm actually I'm quite fit. That was fa paraphrased, but I'm famous in my friend circles for writing everybody's business emails. If any of my best friends have sent an important email to their agent or their something, chances are I wrote it. <laughs> You're their ghostwriter. Just call me Sierra now. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of what I always say is like, this sounds wonderful. I'm, I'm or I'm unavailable. I'm not in town, which happens all the time, too. Um, but best of luck. And, and please don't hesitate to reach out again. I don't want, I don't want anyone to ever feel like I'm not reach outable. Not that I'm, you know, on some crazy pedestal. I certainly am not. Um, I'm on no pedestal, but I'm just saying like I never want anyone I don't want some young producer or something to feel like they can't email me back because I said no to one thing. That's that's a horrible feeling because I felt that where I felt like I couldn't reach back out to someone. It's one ask, you know, and we should all be a little more brave in like asking people to do things or collaborate and just sort of expect either a definitive yes or a definitive no. And then you go from there. And it's also doesn't have to be so scary to say no. Yep. You know, the other person. I found usually is just grateful to get some sort of clarity so they can move on to the next thing instead of waiting for someone to get over the debate in their head. In your ghostwriting of, of your friend's emails, <laughs> you know, like all of this series. You I know I, all my secrets now or all my friend's secrets, I guess. <laughs> I've done the same for friends as well. You know, important emails to editors, you just want someone else to kind of check that language, you know, or to or yeah. to say, okay, am I actually being clear about am I actually asking the thing I want? Yeah. Right. Or am I talking around it? And I think it's easier to sort of outsource that to another person who doesn't have the same anxiety. Yes. 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 I and also think as women, and I don't know if you feel like this, because I sometimes am guilty of this too. I, I will um like noodle around something a little bit and I will say, wait, hold on. I don't want to apologize for sending this. I don't mm -hmm. have to what's the worst thing someone's going to say to me? No. That's it. That's it. The worst thing I'm going to get is no, I can't. Okay. And then you move on. And then you move on. That's really terrific advice and I think applicable to many different fields, uh, not just those of musical theater and, and theater and TV and just being a little brave and, and asking and being clear with our ask is something to, to shoot for. Um, kind of random, but I had to ask because I feel like this might be part of your day and this is a show about our days, but we met a couple years ago on Zoom and you gave me some advice about how to not kill the plant that I just had uh, received. So in my mind, you're like a total plant expert. I am a plant expert. I mean, this was an odd day. This was like, this was not in terms of like, I haven't, 
I'm about to teach for a couple hours. I've got I'm got some research I want to do. There's a book I'm reading about Rosalind. Like I've got some stuff that would have been cooler to say. <laughs> yeah, today was weird. I do plants are a big part of my life. So what does that look like during a day? Well, every day is different. Plant schedules. I use an app called Planta, um, which has actually become really helpful for me because like when I was away last year filming Dynasty in Atlanta, my amazing neighbor D on the seventh floor, I, I would text her every couple of days and I'd be like, okay, these plants need water today. These plants need water. <laughs> she was such a pro. I use an app. I'm really into them. Actually, like my my task for me, like Sam gets to enjoy a thing before I teach. Um, my task for me is I've got a Monstera adansonii, which is a type of Monstera that really needs to be repotted. So that is my like special, like I get to do something for myself task. I find it really therapeutic to just take out all the soil and I'm gonna like wrap it around the top of the the pot so all the empty nodes can grow roots. And um, this is just who I am. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you make it sound like a fun, nourishing experiment where like, I would be so scared to do that. I'd be like, well, first of all, I'd kill it. Oh, no, just come on. I will help you. I've come to really enjoy, I like know all the names of the plants and their anytime. Like I had, I put two little philodendrons together in my bedroom. They're hanging together. And like one of the vines got, I guess like unhinged from the soil and it, it started to grow really, it didn't have any roots. So it was like slowly dying. So I like chopped the whole thing and I propagated the whole thing and I have it in little vessels around my house. I'm always propagating something. I'm always running some sort of plant experiment alone in my house. If you're a plant person, you get it. If you're not a plant person, you're like, you're crazy. But I find it very therapeutic to wake up in the morning and know which plants I have to water. You're you're helping me understand the plant life. I love that you have like a plant to-do list every day. I have a big one today, too. I also have a dog to-do list. Dog dog is also a big part of my day. Is that sort of, okay, let's go on, you know, go on our walks and have a little mental health break at the same time? Like, what does the, the dog walk schedule look like? It depends. Today was a weird one. Today we just went out to potty and then we just left my boyfriends and came here. So that was not a very exciting walk. But normally I meet pals in the park in the morning. Um, my best park pal, unfortunately, passed away. Um Andrew Lanzi of Primary Stages randomly was my, our dog. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, But I have, um, I have a community of park people, call them the park people. We all meet up. And then at night I have, I've made friends with this group of girls, none of them in theater. They're all muggles, (laughs) fans of the theater. And we meet up at a college campus and let our dogs run around a lot. That's sort of like a nice routine, but I do quite like taking her out on my own and just like being quiet and going on a big walkie. But that keeps my day very regimented. She always has to go out. Last question. Do you listen to music during the day, podcasts? Like, what does the input look like? I, You know what? It's so funny. I feel like I'm in the profession of music. I, I actually really don't. I have an, I don't want to say the name of it because she'll turn on, but I have an A-L-E-X-A. And occasionally I'll be like, play jazz and I'll, I'll feel so awesome. But I, I don't do it enough. I tend to work well in silence. One thing I do every day, it feels like a lot of noise, but it is silent, is I do a lot of puzzles in the morning. That is like a non-negotiable thing for me. Every morning I wake up, I'm going to sound nuts. I do my Wordle. I do my Quirtle. I do my crossword. I do my letterboxed. And then I do spelling bee and all three Sudokus. I know that sounds crazy. And then it's like 6 p.m. and I'm ready for breakfast. 
Um, <laughs> oh my God, Sam, that is like like your brain is just alive with letters in in the I'm morning. So wow. into it. It doesn't really. I I mean, like I will sometimes like do the Sudokus as the day goes on on the train, or if like if I have like ten minutes between students, I'll like do a Sudoku. I find that I feel so like invigorated and focused, and like I hear it in my head happening. Like that sounds so weird. But when you ask about music, like in many ways, I'll be like playing the music of Spelling Bee throughout the day. Like I, like today's is really hard. For example, I'm I'm normally pretty good and I am stumped. So I'll be like just shuffling through the letters in my head. I don't know if this is healthy or weird, but I really am. It is my routine. I love this so much. I've tried to also play Spelling Bee lately and my brain just hasn't quite clicked into place something about it i find it challenging it took me a minute and then i was like i ew, i was obsessed i have a rule if i get to genius when i get to genius i'm allowed to look up the rest of the answers because otherwise i will spend all day like and then it'll be like a word i've never heard of. oh my god it's like definitely not a word and you're like come on guys yeah that's sort of my that's my special that's my special brain music not music not answering your question but that's what i do I, lo I love the brain music. And then is there anything you do at the end of the day to wind down? Well, oftentimes my dog and I will take a nice walk or we'll go play with our, our girlfriends and their dogs. At night, I feel like if I'm with my boyfriend, we're together. If not, I do it. Me and my pup do a, do a nice snuggle, like watch a show, read something. Yeah. Dream of the next day spelling bee. Dream of the next day spelling bee. Dream of double helix moving forward. <laughs> I love it. Well, just have a wonderful experience, the entire thing. Thank Rehearsals, you. the collaboration, the production, everything that comes next. It's a long time coming, so uh, we're all just really excited for you. Thank you. I'm really excited, too. Talk to you soon, and thanks again for doing this. Thank you.